Life is hectic, so wherever tomorrow takes you, be ready with Factor's chef-crafted and dietitian approved meals delivered right to your door. With over 35 options a week, including keto, calorie smart, vegan and veggie, and more, they've got a variety that fits your lifestyle. Factor has restaurant-quality meals ready to heat and eat in just two minutes. They also have various easy options for the entire day, from breakfast to midday bites, smoothies, and more. Factor is less expensive than takeout, and every meal is a nutritious and delicious experience, and it won't break the bank. You can customize your meals by choosing 6 to 18 per week. Plus, you can pause or reschedule deliveries anytime to fit your schedule. Factor meals are 100% hassle-free, giving you more time for what matters. Head to factormeals.com slash otherside50 and use the code otherside50 to get 50% off. That's code otherside50 at factormeals.com for 50% off your delicious, hassle-free meals. Hi, I'm Carrie Cohan, and I died twice in 1992 and 1993. My first death was quite dark. I was a bartender, and I had drank too much, and I ended up choking on my own fluid. I was incapacitated. I just couldn't move. And so I died, and I slipped out of the top of my body, and I floated above my body, and um, I thought I would go to the light, but to my surprise, I didn't. I started to hear some really dark things, like demonic uh, noises and sounds, and Things started to come out of the floorboards, like these little black creatures. And soon I was facing toe-to-toe with what we would know as the devil. And I remember thinking at the time, like I was an atheist. I didn't want to believe in any of this stuff because years before I had had an abortion and I was beating myself up so much. I was thinking, I don't want to believe in anything out there because then I'll have to be accountable and I don't want to be accountable. I don't want to have anyone judging me. So it was just easier not to believe in anything. And there I was standing face to face with this thing. And I remember thinking, okay, so if this is real and if I'm looking at this in front of me and I can feel him trying to almost like a hypnosis, like he was trying to coax me into coming with him. I realized that if he's real, well then in this world of contrast of up and down and right and left and contrast, there has to be something opposite of it and there has to be something good. So at that moment, I called in God and Jesus to be by my side and it was like with such determination, (laughs) you know, I God and Jesus, you have to be by my side now. And to my surprise, they did. God was to my right and Jesus showed up to my left and immediately that thing ran. Its eyes lit up and it flew. It went out the window and along with all the little minions that went with it. And so I had a conversation with Creator there at that moment. And I said, why did he come for my spirit, for my soul? And Creator said in the most loving and gentle voice that I had given up on faith. My soul was for the taking. I had beaten myself up so much that I had no faith left. And so he felt that I was vulnerable enough that he could take my spirit. And thank goodness I called out for help and help was there. So. Over the next year, I cleaned up my act, I stopped drinking, and I 
moved to a, what I affectionately called the hippy dippy house. It was uh, about 11 to 22 of us living in the house together, depending on how many people were coming in for workshops or whatever. And it was in Kitsilano, Vancouver, which was a very up and coming, trendy place to live. And so I got out of the party scene. I left working at a nightclub and I turned my life around. And then I met who would be my first husband. And I met him by chance. There are no accidents in life. Uh, nothing is by chance. And so I met him. He was the business partner of Tony Robbins, who was a motivational speaker. And instantly I knew that he was the one that I was going to be married to and have children with. And it was just an instant knowing. I, I saw his eyes and I recognized them. I just knew. And so I was engaged after just a couple of weeks of meeting him. And I was at home packing, moving out of my beloved hippy dippy house. And as I was packing, I was putting pictures in a box. And I remember having sorrow and feeling a bit of stress. It was like um, almost like buyer's remorse, right? And it was like, should I be doing this? Is this right? Because gosh, do I really know him? And there was also a lot of guilt that, you see, I'm Aboriginal, I'm Native, and um, I kind of came from the other side of the tracks, and his family was a good Catholic family. They were out of the, the pages of a Norman Rockwell painting, right? They just were a really beautiful family together. And my family was beautiful as well, but I had had an abortion and I had done things that I was really ashamed of. And I didn't think that his Catholic background family would be approval, approving of me. So I started to feel a bit of stress about this. Am I doing the right thing? And that's when I started to get chest pains. And I had had chest pains for a very long time. My grandmother died at 32, heart attack. My mom quadruple bypass at 42. So we had a long history of heart problems in our family. And, uh, and so it didn't surprise me that at a very young age, I had heart issues as well. So I came to understand that whenever I started to get the palpitations or, or, you know, the, heart murmurs, I would start to cough. So I leaned over and started to cough and I thought this will stop it. And it didn't. So I laid down, I made a deal with myself that, okay, well, I'll, I'll rest. And if I still have the chest pains when I wake up from a nap, then I'll go to the hospital. Well, I laid down and boom, this sharp pain hit me in my chest like a knife. It was so strong. And immediately, I was back and up and out of my body, just like my first death, slid out of my head and was hovering above my body. Only this this death, the second death, this big brown bird came in and swooped down and grabbed me by the back and lifted me up out of my bedroom, out of the house. And now we're going up into the sky. And I remember looking down and watching Earth getting smaller and smaller. And we started to go into the clouds and as we went into these beautiful, um, radiant clouds, uh, we entered into like a, a void. It was a vastness of a white room. It was, it was blinding white, like in the Matrix, the movie The Matrix. You know that blinding white room that they had and that uh, uh, Neil was in? Well, that was very similar. And, and at the time, the movie wasn't out yet. The Matrix wasn't out yet. So it was all new to me that I'm 
in this massive white room. And I remember thinking, first of all, you do feel the love. It's just like what everyone says in near-death experiences. The love is overwhelming. It is so profound. But also there was no sound and I could feel my ears vibrating and pulsating because the pressure was so great and it took a little bit to adjust to that pressure. And the bird sat me down on a seat, but it looked like a cloud. And I remember looking down at this cloud-like chair and thinking, wow, like I can feel the love coming up through the chair and into me. And I was just absorbing all this love. There is no other way to describe it. So as this energy is coming up and through me, you know, I'm looking down to see what it's made out of. And then I look up and someone was standing in front of me while I jumped. I was so shocked that someone was there. And I recognized him instantly from my first death. And it's who I knew as God, who was to my right. And in this instance, in this experience, we had a much longer conversation. I remember feeling like wanting to call him God, but then I also had an understanding that he went by many names. I was being downloaded with so many names and they were just a line up, like a litany of names. And so I asked him, what name do I call you? And he said, it matters less the name that you call me as long as you call my name. And I thought, wow, okay, so what does that mean? It means that it doesn't matter what you call spirit, whether you call him grandfather spirit, God, Buddha, Allah, whatever name you have for this beautiful spirit that is guiding you. It matters more that you speak with them and that you call in the energy on a daily basis and just connect with them. And so we started to connect. We started to talk about all the, first of all, the reason why I was brought there. I had asked whether I was dead or alive. And they said that I was neither dead nor alive. I actually had the opportunity still to go back to earth or I could stay in what was the white void. Uh, I knew was the white void. Um, it was the other name for heaven, what we know as heaven. And so as I was sitting there, I was... Uh, so I realized in the conversation with God that God is creative, actually, because what I was downloaded with was I could see how all spiritual practices, all religions, they all are with the the motive to bring every one of us together to the very same point. And that point is called the spirit song. And at the time, I, I remember thinking, well, what's a spirit song? And in fact, even now, I don't know of anyone else that speaks of this spirit song. And the spirit song is a vibration. It is where sound and music is combined and it creates a, a vibration that brings us all together in the spirit of love. And it was really profound to think that we're all here for the reason of growing our spirit within and to raise our vibration. And basically that's what they showed me. It was that we're not here for food for worms when we die. There is something beyond. And in fact, we don't die. We actually live 
And our whole mission here is to grow our spirits within so that we can evolve and raise our vibration as a whole, as a planet together united. So I trusted that the power of this vibration will eventually reveal itself to the masses. But for now, it feels like each and every one of us is waking up with this feeling of wanting to raise our vibrations right here, right now, right? And uh, yeah, it's, it's in the song. So the more that you sing, the more that you sing joyful songs, empowering songs, this will lift your vibration and will help you evolve, help you resonate into a new vibration. From there, I saw something move out of the corner of my eye and I realized Jesus was with us as well. And again, he was my to my left. And uh, we had some great conversations, he and I, about the power of thoughts and how your thoughts are, yeah, they're everything. I think that the greatest challenge that humanity is facing right now is thought pollution. And it's not just humanity because with every negative thought that we have or evil thought or stuff that we see on the television that we're putting out there into the thought waves, that becomes thought pollution. And it leaves us, it leaves the, the world as we know it, and it goes into other dimensions, other galaxies, other planets, other ET nations. It affects the whole. And so our other mission here is to clean up our stinking thinking thoughts because this is our responsibility to start focusing on love on light on laughter on joy on abundance on everything that is good and when we do this again we shall evolve because what they showed me was that we come to earth it's almost like yeah let's do earth you know earth is one of the most challenging places that you can choose from before we come here, we sit down with a counselor, we decide what it is that we want to experience and learn from and where we want to go in order to learn these lessons. And for all of us, we have decided to come to Earth. Why Earth? Because it is the one of the few places that you can choose to come to that has free will. And it has the ability that you can grow your spirit beyond measure, or you can return worse off than whence you came. You can actually damage your spirit through negative thoughts, through negative inner dialogue and um, abusing your body through food or neglect. And so it is a choice. The best spiritual practices that you can have are to treat your body, your mind, your spirit with unconditional love and focus on the spiritual growth, why you are here. And in doing so, like I said, you can grow beyond measure. So it is a choice what you want to do. Do you want to grow or do you want to wallow and spin in an endless loop, return worse off than whence you came? It's a choice up to you. Jesus was talking about how important our words are. Like he said, there are clues in all languages. You just have to look at them. When you break down words like dis-ease, it's dis-ease, right? A disease. Or in French, Jesus is je suis, right? I am. So there's hints in all of our languages when we 
break down our words and realize what words are we using and are they empowering words? I don't know, there's so many examples, but are they empowering words or are they debilitating words? And we have to choose our dialogue uh, wisely because what we put out there is a vibration. And so in what I saw of our words going out and into all the galaxies and beyond and how it can create thought pollution, I also saw that the way that we reverse that is each and every one of us is responsible for our thoughts and we are the caretakers of our thoughts. So if we are polluting the atmosphere with rage and anger and low level vibration thoughts, then it is up to us to actually almost like a vacuum you go back in time past present future and you collect all the negative thoughts that you've ever had and i watched as you can bring these thoughts together in like a paper crumpled up paper and then throw that paper into what they said was the cosmic garbage can you throw it into the cosmic garbage can and creator then lifts this energy up and transforms energy cannot be destroyed it can only be transformed or transmuted into something else so this energy then is transformed or transmuted into love and joy and prosperity and all the goodness in the world you see when each and every one of us takes responsibility for the energy that we've been putting out there when we stop the negative programming from television when we stop that and we actually put all of that stuff in the cosmic garbage can and instead focus on beauty, that's when everything will change. Can you imagine what the whole world was would be like and will be like when we all do this? And that's what I saw when I was on the other side, was that it starts with self. Everything starts from within. And when you start to take responsibility for your own spiritual growth, what they actually showed me was an old analogy that I had seen when I was eight years old, that each and every one of us is like a cell within a body. And if we're healthy ourselves, then we'll have a healthier body. It's up to us as an individual cell within the body of life, Gaia, right? When we become healthy ourselves, then everything else becomes healthy around us. Body, mind, spirit, thoughts, it all cleans up. So. Jesus finished that conversation, and by the way, there was an artist, Annika, I believe was her first name, she painted when she was 8 or 12 years old, the Prince of Peace, it was a portrait of Jesus, and when I saw this portrait, I burst into tears when I went back to Earth, because this was the image of Jesus that I saw on the other side years prior, so it was a confirmation for me that indeed, I was speaking with that Jesus that was Prince of Peace. It was beautiful. So anyways, I finished the conversation with Jesus, and then I looked back up, and God was walking away from me, and I thought, what is going on here? Jesus disappeared, and he smiled as he was disappearing, and I started to get a little nervous because I thought, oh no, Judgment Day. <laughs> now it's going to begin. We're going to talk about my abortion, aren't we? And, you know, they're going to really be upset with me. And because I was brought up, even though I was Aboriginal, I went to military school, and so we had Bible classes throughout all of those years, and I was brought up believing that eventually there would be a Judgment Day. 
So before I knew it, I actually was sitting in front of this semicircle table and I was in the center facing the semicircle table and God was opposite me with elders. There were 12 elders sitting at the table beside him. And so God introduced them all and said, this is the council of men. And I remember thinking, man, well, where are all the women? You know, I mean, that was my first thought. And they all started to chuckle. And I realized, right, yeah, they can hear my thoughts. Kind of forgot about that. So anyways, um, all the communication was through thought to thought, right? You didn't have to actually speak. And so I said, where are all the women? And they said, oh, there's much female feminine energy around you here. In fact, it's all around you. But what you are now seeing is the male energy and because you've been wounded so much by male energy or imbalanced with your male energy, we have brought you here to find that balance and for you to realize how much you are loved and to realize that we need you to love yourself as much as we love you. And so we started to have a conversation and it was a very long, complex conversation. They showed me so many things they showed me about suicidal souls one of the first things was there was like the main elder was to god's left and so he was telling me or we're very glad that you didn't commit suicide because there were many times in my life that i had thought about suicide and they said when a soul commits suicide it creates a an abrupt break or fracture in the matrix And that's when I started to realize that it's almost like we live within a computer-generated program. Uh, This is all an illusion and that you can create your outcome through your thoughts, through your energy, the thoughts and your heart chakra. When you bring the energies together, you can manifest whatever it is that you desire. And so they were saying, we're really glad that you didn't commit suicide because it creates this fracture. And then when you create this fracture, you end up being in an endless loop. And it takes a lot of time, a lot of energy to actually move yourself out of there. Because I asked what happens to a suicidal soul, and they showed me that there are two routes that a suicidal soul will take once they've committed suicide. With the suicidal souls, you have the two ways. You can go straight to the white void, resolve all those issues, rest for a bit and then you return back and you start all over again in a parallel dimension now this was 1993 that i died the second time we didn't know about quantum physics we didn't know about parallel dimensions and parallel universes and all that sort of stuff right in 1993 i remember them saying yeah the suicidal soul comes back and starts all over again with same parents with the same experience same lessons same choices and you get to the point where you committed suicide and you're either going to commit suicide again and become an endless loop like groundhog day or you're going to make a conscious decision to say enough this mountain that i think that i'm fighting is actually a molehill and that i can get over this that's not a problem i will just breathe my way through this and realize that what's good about this i'm going to ask a better question what's good about this and once i ask what's good about it then i'm going to be able to move past it and get on with my life and when you do that you resolve that endless loop so the suicidal soul 
goes through this whole life all over again with the mission to finally get past that point where they were constantly committing suicide, right? And so I didn't know how that that could happen in 1993, but they shared with me that it's already, it'll be revealed in your lifetime and you'll understand. And sure enough, we came to understand quantum physics and how there are parallel dimensions and parallel universes. So science has caught up to spirituality. Isn't that exciting? The other route that a suicidal soul can take is a very dark route. Eben, I, I think he's a, a doctor that had written a story on his near-death experience. He ended up in what he called a hellish abyss. And that's exactly what I had seen again in 1993. So what I was shown was the second route was instead of going to the white void, the suicidal soul goes into this abyss. And it's like a holding station, but it's very dark and very, oh, it's a tough place to be in because as Eben had written, you know, as soon as I had seen what he had uh, written, I thought, oh my God, that's the gray void, right? Where, you know, you can hear howls and you can hear tormented voices and tormented faces will come in and out. And these are people that you might not even understand who they are or recognize them, but they're souls that um, you either feel guilt about or there's uh, abandonment issues or whatever it may be. So the suicidal souls will often just be trapped, feeling that they are trapped in this grave void, but they aren't trapped. All they have to do is, like I did in my first near-death experience, saying, God and Jesus, be by my side. I want to go to the light. I want to see the light. I want to be out of this place and lift myself up. That's all you have to do is to have faith, faith of a mustard seed, right? It doesn't take much. And so that's when the elder was also showing me, like simultaneously, I would see things but I would also be downloaded with messages. And so they were showing me different ceremonies back on earth, like the Day of the Dead, uh, the Aztec tradition, where families would get together in the spring, I believe it was, and they would bring pictures of their beloved ones that had passed over. And they would have a feast and celebrate, and the food would be offered to those that had passed, and the joy, and they would pray and send loving energy. And I saw, that in that grave void, I saw a suicidal soul that was affected by someone, by their family, that was sending them energy, sending them love, so much love that it actually lifted the cloud around them and they could then finally see the light. And the angels were always right there. They were right there waiting, right? And the moment that the help was asked for, the clouds lifted of the gray void and they were able to then proceed into the white void or heaven and again go through the life review and the process and then that's when that suicidal soul would come back and do the life all over again here on earth so when i saw that i thought i will never consider suicide again in my life uh, uh, uh. i'm not coming back and doing this all over again i'm going to get it right the first time <laughs> it was like, okay that cured me real fast i was like yeah no not not doing that it was such a waste of time because you have to come back and do it all over again 
So if you are thinking of suicide or if you know someone that's thinking of suicide, let them know about that because you will save them in so many ways. You have no idea. So we had a great conversation about that. Then they showed me, oh, so many other things. So the next thing that the elder and I spoke about was manifestation and how the mechanics of manifestation within the body, mind, spirit. So they brought me back to a memory of my first date with my then fiance, or who was my first husband. And we went on our first date and we walked around the seawall at Stanley Park in Vancouver. And as we were walking around the seawall, there was such instant love between us because I later found out that he was part of my soul pack, which I'll explain a bit later. And so it was an instant recognition. And we were so excited to be in each other's company that I think we were vibrating at a really heightened level. And in that vibration, everything was starting to open up for us, including we were able to stop time. Like we walked by a guy that was playing a guitar on a beach and the fire was going. And I remember thinking, wow, this is so beautiful. I feel such love. And just then I looked over at him and he was looking over at me and time stood still. And this was not in my near-death experience. This is a memory of what I actually had happen. So time stood still for just a moment and we were like, wow, what is going on? And then whoo, everything went back to normal again. So I came to understand that the power of love, you can do anything and everything with it. So as we're walking around Stanley Park, he started to talk about various things. And out of the blue, he had a thought about, I think one day, all of us in this world, we will be as one united family. Like we will rise, raise up our vibration and we will be one. And this was a radical thought for 1993, right? And it was a thought that he was just having out of the blue. It had nothing to do with our conversation. But what was interesting was out of his third eye came this projection. And it was like a cone-shaped projection that showed a movie in front of him. And I could actually see in the physical this movie playing in front of him. And I saw his thought that someday we will all be one, united, right? In the spirit song, raising our vibrations. And so... I remember thinking, wow, am I actually watching this? And he was beside me. And so we chatted a little bit and all of a sudden he goes, you know, I think someday. And I went, yeah, I know. Right. And he goes, what do you mean? Yeah. I was going to say something that was totally off subject. And I said that someday we will all be one. And he goes, how did you know that I was going to say that? And I said, Oh, God. <laughs> okay, I'm going to tell him the truth, and I hope that he'll still be with me at the end of this date, because <laughs> I could scare him off here. And I said, while you were talking, this projection came out of your third eye, and I could see your thoughts. And he was a little blown away, but with everything that was happening on that evening, he actually was open to it. So, here I am with the elders now in my near-death experience, and they're bringing me back to the memory of this experience. And what they showed me was the mechanics of how that thought is projected and how you manifest. And I thought this was brilliant. So what they showed me was we went back to the thought, and I saw my fiancé at the time 
I saw his physical body like an x-ray. And I could see how the nervous system was connected to every aspect of his body, like the skeletal system and the muscular system and everything. I'm not a doctor, I'm not medical. I could see the breakdown of everything. Anyways, so the elder was talking to me simultaneously and he was saying, what happens is when you feel a thought, when you feel something that really is ignited, you know, the light bulb going off, right? Well, when you have a thought, it actually triggers in your heart and in your stomach and your heart. And when it triggers, it actually ignites like a spark of energy and that goes through your nervous system. And so it ignites, your whole body becomes alive with this thought. Then it runs, up your spine and goes all the way up to your pineal gland in the center of your brain. And it's like that light bulb, that flash goes off. Then the thought projects out through your third eye and it becomes like a, a projector. You know, in the old movie theaters, many aren't old enough to remember this, but we used to go into smoke-filled movie theaters and the smoke would be in the air and you would see the beam of light from the projector going out to the screen and it would be a cone shape, right? It would be like that. And so that was what I saw in his third eye, this cone-shaped projector. And Spirit, um, the elder, was saying, once the energy ignites in the third eye, it comes out and there are filaments that project out. And these filaments go out into the atmosphere, like into the universe, and they look for corresponding thoughts, people, places, things that you are asking for with your thought, and it will attract back to you the corresponding thoughts and places and people and things that you are attracting, you are looking for. So this works for both good thoughts and negative thoughts, right? Thank God for when you're having negative thoughts, a lot of the times it just kind of nullifies and it's like, oh yeah, just kidding, just kidding, just kidding. Don't really want that, but just that's what you're focusing on. Eventually, you're going to get those negative thoughts. Those filaments will bring back negative things to you. But conversely, if you start to clean up the stinking thinking and you actually ignite within your pineal gland and project out these beautiful thoughts, the gossamer threads, the filaments, that come out of your thoughts, they literally go and they attract back the people that, that you're looking for. So a great example is when you're thinking of someone and all of a sudden they phone. It's because you were thinking about them, you projected the thought, those gossamer threads went flying over to the person that you were thinking of and immediately they then pick up the phone. And since my near-death experience, they're actually finding that in DNA, in our DNA, are these gossamer threads. And that's what I saw projected out through the ether, through the energetic form. So pretty interesting stuff how, so it all is coming to fruition and this knowledge is coming to be free to us. It's no longer being suppressed like it was for so many years. We're starting to wake up, hallelujah. I had had the abortion and I thought that I wasn't going to have any more children because after the abortion, I had so much scar tissue in me that I was told by physicians that there was no hope I would have no children. And that was devastating to me. And so I thought, maybe it's God's way of punishing me because I had the abortion. 
and uh, I killed a child and so therefore I'm not worthy to have any children. And that's how I, I rationalized it. But in the end, in speaking with these elders, they were saying, we wanted to bring you here because we want you to understand, first of all, you have a mission, you have a lot to do, you have got to go back, you've got a lot to do. But secondly, we want you to understand the level of love that we have for you. And we need you to love yourself as much because that first death was all because you weren't loving yourself. You despised every aspect of yourself. So you were calling in through your thoughts some pretty nasty stuff. And so you need to find that love. Love thyself, love thyself, love thyself, they kept saying to me. It was a pretty beautiful experience. They kept saying, you got to go back. You got too much to do. And I was like, yeah, no, I'm, I'm going to stay here. I'm really enjoying it here. I don't want to go back. And so they said, you have to go back because you've got too much to do. And so we went back and forth a couple of times. And finally, they all huddled. The head of the elders came back out and he spoke to me and said, we don't normally do this, but we want to show you what you would miss if you didn't go back. And at the time, I was thinking, you know, it's all right. My fiance, he's not going to miss me much because they had shown me about time. They had shown me in one of the lessons that time was not linear. It actually was like this. Past, present, future all happen at the same time. So that's how those that are gifted with sight are able to see things in the past or in the present or in the future, right? Because they're able to jump the timeline. And all that we have is the now, right? So it doesn't happen like this. We actually are here in but a moment and everything around us is happening just like that. So my thought, I was rationalizing that, okay, my fiance is in earth, but if time is like this, then he's not going to miss me. <laughs> he's going to be back here within the, a heartbeat and then we can be back together again. I don't have to go back down there. Or I don't have to go through all of that stuff that I was going through, right? And they kept insisting, you got too much to do. And I was like, finally, I remember throwing my hands up in the air and going, my God, what am I going to do? What am I going to do that's so profound? Because look, I was a drunk. I was a bartender that was an alcoholic. I was illiterate. I was in the dummy class in grade eight. I failed grade 12. I was a, a freaking mess. And what am I going to do that's so profound? Like, and that's when they huddled together and they made a decision to show me something that they don't normally show. And that is what I would be missing out if I didn't go back. So all of a sudden this sphere popped in front of us and I understood it to be a 9D hologram. Didn't know what a 9D hologram was, but that's what they said it was. And it was a sphere that had a cube inside with four pyramids that came to a point. And so it's called a cubic pyramid within a sphere, right? And where all the pyramids came to a point, it lit up like a, a light. It was so bright. And when I looked into it, I could see movement. And immediately I was brought into this hologram, which was bringing you through like a wormhole. And it split. And simultaneously, I had two experiences. In one hand, I was experiencing a beautiful child that had brown hair and blue, blue eyes. 
and she was so beautiful she was so vibrant oh my gosh i saw the birth of her i saw taking care of her and playing in the yard and we had a water hose and i was spraying the water and we had a dog there and, and it was a beautiful moment and you know here i was thinking that i'd never have children and it makes me choke up right you know and and there was this this moment that it felt so real that i was with this beautiful little brown-haired blue-eyed girl and then simultaneously i was also having another experience that i could comprehend both of them i was like split and experiencing both of them at the same time and this one was with the little blonde-haired blue-eyed girl and i saw again her birth and every aspect of enjoying her youth and growing up and nurturing her and and she was the cook she was the one that loved cooking and so i remember you know seeing her in that hologram and i had her up on a little chair and she had a chef's hat on and she was helping me to cook and it was at that moment i realized i ain't going to have children right oh my god i'm going to have children so it was it was overwhelming to me because i had resigned myself to the fact that i wasn't going to have any kids so i came out of that hologram i hit the chair so fast i bounced off and i was like oh my god i'm going to have children i'm like going to have children and they were yes we want you to see what you would be missing if you didn't go back and i go okay i'm sold i'm going back i'm going back when can i go back can i go back right now i was so damn excited i could hardly wait to go back because they knew that above everything i wanted to be a mom so just as i'm ready to go back a creator came to me and now we're standing up and he said before you go there is one more thing that we would like to share with you do you have any questions that you would like to ask of us and uh and i remember thinking well that's a profound question he actually he said before you go yeah he said before you go Is there anything that you would like to ask of us that um you would be able to bring back this information and help share it with others? I remember thinking, "Oh boy, that's kind of a profound question." I drew a blank. And all of a sudden I saw this little speck of light and it came zipping around and around me and then it went into the tender part just behind my ear and it lit up that neo plan inside the center of your brain and instantly i understood what i needed to ask and i said ah oh, i got it okay i understand that god loves you know everyone he loves the rapists the murderers the people that do the most heinous things on the planet how how can god still love people that do the the worst things on on earth and he goes oh that's easy like this and he did a swoop of his hand and immediately i was transported into yet another room this one a vision of well not a vision it was me sitting in a chair but it was a younger version looking of me and with a counselor and the counselor was sitting at um it looked very clean and almost not robotic but it was just really um sterile and so the counselor is sitting there and goes okay so 
what we'll do is we'll go over everything that you've chosen to learn on the other side. And so I'm thinking, wow, um, who is this? What is this about? The counselor then got up and out of the vision, the vision froze, and she came over and she greeted me and said, hello, um, this is your memory self that is sitting there, and you are your observer self. Memory self, meet your observer self. Observer self, meet your memory self. We're like, hello, hello, strange. And so she then sat down, she said, right then, okay, so let's review. What is it that you're going to um, learn when you go to Earth? And um, and they started to go through some of the things, like your name is going to be Carrie Louise, and you're going to be born sickly, you're going to have kidney stones for the first 14 years of your life, and you'll be molested at the age of three. And my memory self went, whoa, oh my gosh, that is awesome. And my observer self, me, that's kind of floating in the room, <laughs> it went, whoa, whoa, whoa. You know, is she actually excited that she's going to be sickly and molested and all of that? Again, the counselor stepped out of the image and came and everything froze. And she said to me, what your memory self remembers that you have remembered to forget when you came to this side of the veil, when you came into earth, what she remembers is the five lessons of life. And that when you apply these five lessons to every aspect of your world, everything that you are experiencing, then that is why you're here to grow yourself spiritually. And so she's excited at these experiences because each experience is an opportunity to apply the five lessons of life and when you do this you will grow beyond measure and so uh i thought okay that's interesting so counselor goes and sits down again and now they start going through different aspects she um, a hologram pops up and it's uh, an image of my mother and father and i get to choose my parents they get to choose me. So we come to an agreement that, would you like to be Carrie's parents on the other side or in earth? And my mother was like, oh, yes, that would be beautiful. And my father's like, yeah, yeah, that would be great. <laughs> my dad was like, not much emotions. He was a boxer. And so he was pretty gruff a lot of the times, but very loving and gentleman as well. So anyways, I remember thinking, yeah, but does the memory self remember my dad's drinking years? Because that was a little difficult, you know, that was pretty tough because there'd be highs and lows. And so again, the, the counselor came out and said, again, your memory self understands why your father has the rage that he did. And she has compassion for that. She forgives, she trusts and has faith that he's going to be the perfect dad and she unconditionally loves him already. So you both get to practice that when you go to the other side. I was like, okay. So we had my parents chosen. And then she said, the counselor goes back, sits down. And so she says, all right then. So um, next we are going to um, uh, look at the next level, uh, sorry. And so she goes and sits down, the, the counselor goes and sits down again. And all of a sudden, the room fills up with 12 beautiful radiant beings that come in. And they stand behind the counselor. 
And if you've ever watched the movie Cocoon, it's an older movie, but if you've ever watched it where the aliens, they unzipped their human outfit and they step out as these beautiful radiant beings. It's like a five-star shape, head, arms, legs, but just radiant. And that's what all 12 of these radiant beings looked like. They were quite tall, slim, slender, and just radiant, so beautiful. So the counselor introduced me to my soul pack. And she says, this is your soul pack. Everyone has a soul pack. And you travel with these souls throughout all of your lifetimes, all of your journeys. Um, and that's why when you meet them on earth, you recognize them, you know them instantly, right? You, you see their eyes and you think, God, I know you. It's because they are part of your soul pack. Oh, and I asked, well, why do you travel with soul packs? And she said, um, because you, when you are uh, working with a soul that you already know, uh, you spend less time actually getting to know them and you spend more time learning the lessons that you're meant to learn together through the experiences, just shared experiences that you have. So it helps both. And for instance, she then says, so which two of you, the soul pack of the 12, which two of you would like to be Carrie's molesters? And that's when I went, okay, no, I can't do this anymore. And the counselor kind of shushed me and went, would you please just watch, just observe and trust, right? And so I sat, you know, I, I kind of just sat back and thought, okay, I don't know about this. So then um, all of a sudden, two of the uh, 12 went, we will be. And memory self was like, whoa. And that's when I objected. Actually, that's when I said, whoa, you know, this is too much. And that's when counselor said, just watch, just trust. It's like, okay. So those two that volunteered, they lifted up and all of a sudden they went zooming to earth. We, we all watched them like zoom off the edge of of the room of the you know the place that we're in and we could see them heading to earth and we could feel them enter into the wombs of their mothers their respective mothers and you could feel the pain and the sorrow that was surrounding you know the alcoholism the fetal alcohol syndrome in in him and you know all the abuse that was around them you, know, you could hear the screaming and it was just a, a hell of a beginning for both of them and they really had a very difficult life both we watched as they grew up as they got into their 20s and 30s and as they met and they became a couple. And then we watched them move forward and where they actually met my parents and started to groom my parents because they saw me. I was two years old when we first met them and then three years old when they finally convinced my mother that uh, she was with the kids for so long. She hadn't been away from the kids in 13 years. You know, my brother was 10 years older, so she had never been away from the children ever, not for one night. And this woman was very charming, and she, she had talked my mom into taking a weekend away, go to Montreal, go see the family. She and her husband would take me away to my grandfather's cabin for the weekend. And my mom went along with it. And the next scene, we see my mother coming with me, and she was so reluctant. She um, had me on her hip, and she handed me over to the woman in the car, and 
I started to scream. I was like, you know, reaching out saying, don't leave me, mom, you know. And my mom walked away and I could see from my perspective that my little girl self could not see was that my mom was crying because she knew intuitively that she wasn't doing, not that it wasn't the right thing, but she just was upset. And so she went into the house and shut the door and we drove off. We went to my grandfather's place, you know, a little cabin on the lake in northern Quebec. And basically, just before I was about to be molested, everything froze. And I remember turning to the counselor because we're all watching it, all 12 of us and the counselor and my memory self and myself, we're all watching this. It felt like real time, but it's sped up, right? And so when everything froze, I turned to the counselor and went, wait, what? I don't remember up to a certain point. I only remember up to a certain point and I don't remember past that point. So I need to know what happened, right? I, I only remember up to that certain point and I need to know what happened. And so the counselor said, the memory will come to you when it's meant to. But for now, we want to focus on the five lessons of life. We want you to focus on the fact that your molesters, the people that hurt you, were actually your best friends in heaven. So the people that hurt you the most are actually your best friends. They volunteered to have a hell of a life, to experience one heck of a life, in order to give you the opportunity to practice the five lessons of life of forgiveness, compassion, faith, and trust, and unconditional love, not only towards them, but towards yourself as well. To have unconditional love for yourself, to have faith that you were on the right track and everything happened for a reason, and to have uh, trust that God has a greater plan in all of this, and to have compassion um, for yourself and forgiveness, um, you know, not only for them, but for yourself as well. And when you can ask the questions or answer the questions, this is what the elder said to me next, the elder of the council of men. He then said to me, if you can answer the questions of, do I unconditionally love them? Do I forgive them? Do I have compassion for them? Do I have faith and trust that everything happened for a reason? When you can say yes to all of those, then you have really grown spiritually and you're on the right path. But if you say no to any of those, then there is work to be done still. Because so many people say, you know, I can forgive them, but I'll never forget. But in order to truly forgive, you have to forget. You have to actually release and unhook and let it go completely because if you really want to step into that spiritual enlightened vibration you cannot hold on to what has pained you in the past you have to let go of it so from that experience i realized that i was still holding on to a lot of stuff and i needed to let it go and that was when i realized okay if i hadn't seen it myself i probably would have a hard time believing it but I did see it, and I did experience it, and I did realize that those two souls that were in Earth, or on Earth, and they were less than spiritual beings, they were less than nice, they were downright nasty. When I realized that they were actually my soul pack and my best friends in Heaven, 
that's when I had to come to a realization that, okay, my mom always said today's tragedy is tomorrow's blessing. And that, that experience made those words so alive that today's tragedy is tomorrow's blessing. You see, when I came back, I did eventually come back. They kept saying, God, go back, Carrie, you got too much to do. And I remember thinking, yeah, right. You know, like I said, I, I was a drunk and failed, couldn't read. And, and what am I going to do? Well, when I did come back, I spent, well, the first year I married my husband. And that was really lovely. And then we had our first daughter, who was a brunette. And then we had the second daughter, who was the blonde. But before the blonde daughter came, our oldest daughter, she was two years old, and we were living in a northern community, closer to Alaska. And we had a three-time convicted pedophile enter our house and tried to kidnap her. And so this is after my near-death experience. This is after I came back, and I chased him out with a carving knife, and I protected my daughter, so nothing ever happened to her. But what I came to realize was that the blessing in being molested myself was that I understood that energy. And I had met this guy the day prior. And just for a brief moment outside of my car, he was my neighbor. Didn't know him, you know, he was a stranger. But the moment I saw him, I knew his energy. I recognized that footprint of energy uh, of a molester. And so when I chased him out, I knew that I had to get him out fast. There was no listening to him. He was not there for good intentions whatsoever. And I was able to find out that he indeed was a three-time convicted pedophile. I was able to bring him back on charges after a year on a historical case, and we got him back in prison. We also, uh, in the interim, were able to stop him from going to playgrounds with kids. And that was the beginning of a 17-year-long voluntary uh, career. I never made a dime. It was all a voluntary work uh, in protecting children against predators. So I brought a lot of laws into Canada that were American, like Amber Alert. I helped bring Amber Alert into Canada, sex offender registry, raise the age of consent from 14 to 16. And yet I was illiterate. So a lot of people asked me, you know, how did you do that? Because I couldn't read. I was tested at the University of Alberta through the reading center there, and they determined after eight hours of tests that I was indeed learning disabled and that I read at a grade three to grade five level. So how do you read legalese and write law if you can couldn't read or write? Or I could write, but I couldn't read. And so came to understand that it was all spirit-driven and given. I just listened. I would be downloaded with images or I would hear guidance along the way and and I just followed that for 17 years and was able to do when they kept saying you got to go back Carrie you got too much to do they weren't kidding <laughs> so that was the the beginning of that journey and then I evolved from that because it was really difficult on the soul you know as you can imagine in 1998 there was no reporting services so people would send me stuff and I would then proceed and bring that to the police department. But I saw and heard um, far too many horrific stories. And so I ended up working as a counselor 
and therapist and helping people, you know, find the light within and realize that it's all going to be fine in the end. Our mission here is to grow ourselves spiritually through song, through hope and love and prosperity, through throwing all that garbage, all the stuff that no longer serves us into the cosmic garbage can, through being everything that you can be, and just having that five lessons of life active in your life each and every day. Can you answer to yourself, do you forgive yourself? Do you, for everything that you've said and done that may have hurt others, do you actually forgive yourself? Do you have compassion for yourself? Understanding that, yeah, this has been a learning path and you have done everything that you possibly can. And in fact, every day you're working towards empowering yourself that much more. You're doing things on a daily basis to practice these five lessons. Do you have faith and trust that you're on the right path? And do you unconditionally love yourself? And if you can say yes to all of those, you're really on the right path. Well done. I can say in my 58, almost 59 years, couple more days, I'll be 59. And I can say majority of the time I have practiced the five lessons, but this is a human experiment. This is a human existence uh, and we do falter. Um, but majority of the time, I then bring myself back and remember again. So that's the message. I ended up writing a book, funny enough, because being illiterate, most people think that you wouldn't be able to write. And it's the way that the brain works. I could, the, the data coming in, not so good, but the data going out, fantastic. And creator always told me, I remember when I was leaving, uh, you know, heaven, after experiences were just coming to an end and I gave Creator a nice big hug and I said, can I remember all of this? Can I bring it back with me and share it with others? And the answer was that I will remember quite a bit of it and I needed to write down all of it as soon as I got back so I would remember as much as possible. But the rest of it would come when the time was right. And so in 2014, this is where the story ends. I started to write my book in 2014 and I was really excited. I celebrated it with my kids because I got it done. Woohoo! You know, finally, many, many years had passed and I got my book written. And I heard spirits say very clearly, wait eight months. And I remember thinking, wait eight months? Why do I have to wait eight months? Right? And they said, mark it in the, in the calendar. So I went to the calendar and counted out the days and marked eight months on that date my father passed and I had to sit back and think okay so why did you want me to wait before I published the book eight full months to the date that my dad passed I don't understand and then they said look at the book and I read the book again and I realized wow I wasn't actually practicing the five lessons of life with my own father we had had a difficult relationship and for many years, towards the end of his time here, we were really close the last couple of years, but there were some difficult times, and I wasn't very kind to him in the book, and uh, and I had forgotten things, and so I had to rewrite the book. I had to practice these five lessons of life myself and apply them, and once I did that, 
it was then 2019 I was able to actually publish the book on my own and it's one third in the world for spirituality and philosophy so it's being um, accepted widely with lots of love and I, that's all I want is this message to get out there because there's a lot to be said and some of the things that I would love to share with you probably would be censored um, you know because of the content but um, it's really profound uh, information and needs to be shared so I thank you for taking this time and being with me and listening to my story and I hope it helped you so love thyself love thyself love thyself that's it we all fall.